Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, it is Easter Monday. Many of us are hopefully still sleeping in. Uh, Hopefully we have a, a less full week than what we did last week. But I wanted to just hit the pause button uh, right before we jump into the conversation that JR and I have with Dr. Michael McKenzie, uh, specifically about burnout and blowing up your ministry, which I think is really important for us coming out of Easter. It might seem a bit like a downer, but I think it's more like getting a checkup, more like having an opportunity to be reminded that we have limitations and the best way for us to continue to be faithful to, and continue to be healthy pastors and healthy leaders is to is to adhere to some a pattern of rhythms, uh, to realize that we can't run at Holy Week speed for weeks and weeks and months on end. But we have to set into our schedule time for rest, time for relationship, time for fun, time for play. And I just wanted to leave you with two questions this morning as we enter into this conversation. And, and the first question is this, where on your calendar is there time for you to rest and unplug this week? Let me say that again. Where in your calendar do you have two to three hours this week to just rest and unplug? And with that, I also want to ask another question, and it's where or who, I guess is the better question, who will you contact to just have a two-hour non-agenda conversation or walk or or time with someone that you can just be you with? Um. I think that there's something really unique about the rhythms that we watch Jesus model and, and, and show us in the scriptures as, as he does ministry, he also gets away with his friends uh, to rest, to spend time in prayer. And I, I would even say to play with his buddies, to have long walks and fire pits and, and life where life on life conversations with the, the people that he traveled with. And so I just want to encourage you in, in, a, in a week that is usually a week marked by <laughs> quiet, um, kids back in school, rhythms beginning to, to look a little bit more normal, that you would actually take some time to rest, that you would take some time to invest relationally um, for, just, for, for no other reason than just relationship in and of itself. Um, we have a really great conversation today with Dr. Michael McKenzie. Uh, JR and myself had a great opportunity to sit down with him uh, and to talk about pastors who blow up their ministries, uh, pastors who make decisions, and to listen from a perspective of a counselor who has spent 25 years of his life working with pastors who have been burned, who have burned out, who have made dumb decisions, who have, have just been in, in tough spaces. Um, being in ministry for over 20 years now, one thing that I have learned is that none of us are above um, two or three decisions beyond blowing up our own ministry. Um, I think it's interesting. We can listen to certain podcasts and, and hear the, the destruction stories of pastors and the things that, that they've done. And, and it's really easy for us to think, oh man, I, I would never do that. But I think the older I get, the more I recognize that, yeah, I have that in me too. And so even in this season, as we're coming out of Easter, this might seem kind of like uh, a little bit of a downer, but I think it's actually quite hopeful because it is reinforcing the reason why we do this podcast. We want to undergird pastors. We want to help pastors be healthy people as well. 
And so we hope you enjoy the conversation that is about to transpire with myself and JR and Dr. Michael McKenzie. Michael, it's good to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your calling. You have sort of a unique ministry to pastors, and we'd love to hear some of your story. Yeah, you know, as, as all of our stories are, it can be long. So let me kind of try to highlight it for you. Um, grew up in Eastern Canada, Prince Edward Island, Canada. Um, felt God was leading me out of business into um, counseling ministry and came to the U.S. to do a master's in counseling. And I wasn't quite sure what area I wanted to work in, you know, who was going to be the population I was going to work with. But I already had a bit of a heart towards pastors. My, my brother was a church planter up in Eastern Canada, and I saw the, the challenges of that to him and his family. Um, my senior pastor growing up, who was very influential in my life, died of a heart attack at age 52. I was really close to his family. Um, his, one of his sons was one of my best friends and just saw the inside life there because I was at their house a lot of how, how the challenges of ministry. And then, you know, I get into seminary and, and, and all my friends are pastors and missionaries. And that's who I stay in touch with. And I just see them and the challenges. So I really began to develop a passion for, for folks in ministry and as God would have it, you know, doors opened and, you know, eventually arrived at where I am now at Marble Retreat, a counseling center for pastors. And so God just had several kind of situations in my life led to feeling, believing I was called to serve those in full-time Christian ministry. Yeah. You mentioned Marble Retreat. Talk, talk a little bit, you know, it's very intensive uh, counseling center, helping pastors on the verge of burnout or in burnout or other issues. Are you noticing some patterns? Are you noticing some themes or trends? I'm sure you touched on this in your book, but you know, what, what are you noticing, especially the last few years that we've been through of such a global intensity? What's coming out? Yeah, you know, I think it's always been fairly well known that pastors have no margin in their life, you know, or little. And and because it's a very full job. I mean, it's it, there's it's hard to have boundaries. You don't clock in, clock out all that. And I think the last couple of years have only served to amplify that and be kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. And and so we have definitely seen an uptick in the number of pastors reaching out to us since COVID hit. And to give you kind of an example, and I think I may even have this in the book, but, you know, I answered the phone one day and a pastor's on the line. He's like, if you don't help me, I won't be here a year from now. And what he meant was taking his own life. And as we got to working with him, he was a very pastoral hearted pastor who really loved people, loved relationship. And now there's a lot of conflict in his church. There's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of 50% of his church you know, is on this side politically, 50s on this side politically, 50s on this side with, with COVID, 50s on this side with COVID. He can't please everybody anymore, and it was tearing him apart. Now, some of that was his own issues, but some of that was just the nature of church has changed for him and a lot of people. And, and so a lot of pastors are really wearing thin with the conflict and, and the, just um, the change from church tending to be a nice place with its fallenness to now a lot more conflict, at least more visible conflict than maybe there had been in the past. So I definitely see pastors at this COVID and the decisions around COVID and mask and no mask and all that stuff 
pushing them beyond what little margin they had left. And mm. they're just hitting a breaking point. Mm. You mentioned that uh, the number one contributing factor, you know, creating issues for those in ministry is isolation. Of course, that isolation has been amped up for everybody. Can you say more about what is that danger of isolation and how do we combat that when being a pastor is, let's just say it, a little bit weird or peculiar? People don't always know how to act around us. What do we do with that isolation? How do we battle that as pastors? Yeah, you know, it is it is one of those things that comes with the package of being a pastor. Like our pastor just preached on Sunday. When somebody, I meet somebody in public, they say, what do you do for a living? He's like, ah, I kind of hesitate at times because all of a sudden everything shifts as soon as I answer that question, you know? And so it's, it's always been a struggle. And, and I think, you know, that the key is for a pastor to pursue intimate community for themselves. And that may not be within their church. And I have definitely worked with a lot of pastors who say, I need to do that with outside of my, my immediate church. And they've landed on that. And others would say, no, this is my family, and I'm going to aim for that ideal. And and there's pluses and minuses to both, but both. But it's really just having that person or people outside of your marriage, if you're married, that you can talk very openly and intimately. It's it's not rocket science in the sense of that's what you need. It is challenging to make it a priority. And and as I mentioned, you know, in the book, um, there used to be several pastors who came to me as a, when I was doing one hour a week counseling in my private practice, I, it seemed to me as a friend. I mean, they were paying me as somebody that could come and talk to for an hour. And they would say when they came in, now you can't tell anybody what we're talking about, right? I'm like, yes, I can't tell anybody because I'm a counselor. And then they wouldn't even talk about anything immoral or illegal that they were worried about me sharing. They were just talking about church stuff, church politics. You know, this this family is really hurtful. I'm really struggling with this this staff member, but stuff they don't feel safe talking to others because it may come back to bite them if they do talk to others that they don't like that family right there that sits in the second row. And they don't, they're really struggling with this staff member, but we get up in front and we pretend like we're, everything's great, you know? And so they just really just needed somebody to talk to. And so, you know, if nothing else, you can go to a counselor, but you know, who is it that I can find in my life, a seminary buddy, a, a, a pastor in another town or whatever, but but somebody I can really be real with about the struggles that, that I'm facing. Yeah. And, and Michael, I appreciate how in your book uh, you talk about this really sacred, holy game that was, I think, created on the eighth day uh, called ice hockey. And personally, from a perspective of like, that was a space for you. I remember you had a story about a barbecue, but how is ice hockey uh, influenced and what has that taught you about your work and even work with pastors? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question. Finally, hockey comes up. It's great. Um, you know, playing ice hockey taught me several things for myself personally. You know, I'm an advocate of you need a hobby and you need exercise. And it was both, you know, one, both at the same time, hobby and exercise. You know, Two, it also was community. You know, we moved to a new town, hardly knew anybody up in Marble. I go start playing ice hockey and all of a sudden I get to meet guys. And we begin to hang out. And it was a place where Mike could be Mike. You know, that once in a while, they kind of pushed me back into the role that even though I was a, a counselor, I am an ordained pastor. I have been a chaplain. And that would come out sooner or later. And, and sometimes, you know, people would try to put me into a role, so to speak. But overall, they allowed Mike to be Mike. Now, that didn't stop me being a Christian. It was really great, some of the conversations I had, you know, about faith. 
but naturally, not a role. It would just come out on the bench in the locker room. People would just ask me stuff, you know, at times, which I was happy to share because I didn't feel I needed to be in role. I still could be Mike and share, not be, you know, in a certain role. And so just having that place to, for stress reduction about their exercising, having camaraderie, having a place where I could just be Mike and be in the zone when you're playing hockey or any sport you love, you're just not thinking about all those outside pressures and expectations besides expectation to score if you're a forward, but, you know, and so, which I didn't always, you know, fulfill that, but you know, it was, it was just fun. It was just fun. It just reminded me life is not so serious, you know? Mm. Yeah. This idea of hobbies comes up a lot, Mike, in these conversations that we have on the podcast. And I think that there, there's sort of two sides to most pastors brains when we talk to them where they say, yeah, yeah. You know what Mike is saying? We totally agree. Like we need a hobby, but then there's that flip side that says, yeah, but do you know how much I have to do? Do you know the expectation of my elders? I, as soon as I'm done with church stuff, I got to go home to my family. When do I have time to work out? When do I have time to, you know, draw mm. or hike or play hockey? Um, how, how do we deal with sort of these two voices of, yeah, yeah, I know it's important, but yeah, yeah, you don't know my schedule. How do we navigate that as pastors? It's difficult. There's always the pressure, you know, one of, one of the studies that came out years ago about exemplar pastors by Mark McMinn, you know, the overall finding, if I could remember correctly, and I think I do, because I read it a few times, um, was that the first thing of this was pastors who have been in the business 20 years and are doing well. Because I think what you talk about, you know, is, is it, am I setting up my life for long-term health or not? Mm. You know, and if I am, I, I need to be taking care of myself, you know. And so pastors who are in it 20 years still loved it. One of the things he found in studying them and, and asking them questions was they took assertive control of their schedule. Because if you mm. don't, it'll fill in, you know. And so they put in those things first, meaning birthdays for family and vacation and date nights and and hobby then they let ministry fill it in you know and i know that's but that's also a theological or um i guess theological maybe is the right word practice because it, it really comes back to who who do i really trust is in charge of this thing um and that does mean i'm going to upset some people because i will be saying no to some people um most likely, because you're right, there, there is a list of people lined up at your door with expectations of how you're going to use your time when you're a pastor. So, so part of what you have to, you know, when I work with pastors who are burned out, and they are working crazy amount of hours and hobby has gone and typically fun slash hobby is the first thing to go when life gets serious, because it's not important as, as filling in the ministry boxes. And so, you know, one of the things we work through is what's your resistance to saying yes to a hobby and it's the people I'm going to disappoint, the things that aren't going to get done, you know, and then how come, what, why does that bother you? And if we keep digging, you know, at some level it is, um, it has to be me and I don't want to let people down and I don't want the disappointment or conflict of letting people down. Mm. So at, at some level, can I, do I believe that God really wants me to be healthy and whole or not? Mm. And, and, you know, it has to some level kind of come down to that. And out of that belief, that's true. I believe God wants me to be healthy and whole. And what changes do I need to make? 
And then how do I work through my own discomfort with saying no to some people? And how do I work with them to get a more realistic job description, you know, mm. really is a part of it as well. Well, Michael, what I, I love that phrase, you must take assertive control of your schedule. And it actually reminds me of something that Gordon McDonald said years ago that stuck with me. He said, if you don't plan your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think exactly. that's scratching on the itch that you're saying there of assertive control of your schedule. You know, I, I appreciate the heart behind the message of your book. And, you know, just very bluntly, I just don't blow up your ministry. Like, I mean, talk about an eye-catching, throat-grabbing uh, kind of title for a book. Uh, I, I got a question for you, and I'll, I'll set this up a little bit with a, with a question or so with a story before the question. My, my son, who's now 15, when he was about four or five years old, we were teaching him how to ride a bike. So we went to the uh, middle school nearby and, um, you know, huge parking lot at the middle school. And there's one light post right in the middle. And we said, buddy, you know, we've practiced on the grass. I'll run next to you, but then I'm going to let go and let you go. And I said, you can go wherever you want in this whole blacktop. It's a Sunday afternoon. Nobody's here. You can go wherever you want. Just do whatever you can to avoid the, avoid the light pole. And of course, we know where this is going. What's the one thing that he does within 30 seconds as he hits the light pole? And mm-hmm. so, and while I appreciate the title of the book, I guess what I'm saying is, is there a way we could do that with this book or even the nature of where every minister, every pastor says, you know, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't hit the light pole, don't hit the light pole, don't blow up your ministry, don't blow up your ministry. How do we make sure in reading your book, but even the whole nature of what you're doing of helping pastors? that we see the whole empty parking lot to learn to ride the bike and not, not focus on the one light pole in the middle. Does that make sense? So how do, we, how do we make that a positive? How do we make sure that we're living into health, which I know is a big part of your ministry? Yeah, I think I'm answering your question here. And if not, feel free to clarify uh, with me. You know, I, I think it, so much of it's awareness um, and, and I always advocate awareness comes best through close relationship. You know, I, I think, and I know this is, this is a drum that's been beaten many times, but we need to continue to beat it because it continues to be an issue for us in ministry. Is having somebody, you know, I have the beginning story in my book of my dad kind of saving my life because he saw I was in trouble and said something. He didn't say something. He put the boat in reverse, but same idea. He was like, you know, you're heading overboard here and you don't even know it. You don't even see it coming. And, and so I think when we're in close relationship with somebody or some group, so ideally a few somebodies, they can say, you know, you have been exhausted for months now. What's up? Or you're getting a little too full of yourself. Do you hear yourself recently? <clears throat> you know, do you think it's all you that's that got this ministry rocking and rolling at your church, you know, you need somebody who can really do that. I've got a couple of people in my life who know me well enough to know when I'm getting a little off, you know, and, and they, they say it, you know, because that's what we've arranged. So speaking, that's the nature of our relationship. It goes both ways. I call them out, you know, and they call me out, you know, when, when's the last time you've gone to your hobby or whatever it is. So, you know, I think that there is the the value of um, of awareness through relationship is to help us, one, not hit the light pole, but also to to be aware of the bigger picture. And I know that's it's simple, but it's not. It's difficult, and that's why we have to keep coming back to this same 
thing over and over again um, because it, it is so easy to get pulled off into the performance and the to-dos and not make that a priority in our life. Yeah, Michael, I find it really interesting how you've mentioned quite a few times people pleasing, and I know that's a really big chunk of the life of a pastor. And I can't remember the exact number, but it was a Lifeway, um, you know, study, and they said it was like somewhere where like eighty or ninety percent of pastors identify as like people pleasers. Is that am I getting that right? I don't remember the exact stat either, but it's up there. It's up there. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was it's up there. It was really high. And so I think, I think the challenge is. How, you know, you have these pastors who, you know, all of us, like, I think somewhere in, in, in the, in the makeup of pastors, we really want to care for people like really well. And sometimes that can become very idolatrous in terms of, well, we have to, we can develop Messiah complex or whatever else. Um, but like, is there a story where that, that you have just it like quick to mind where you saw a pastor identify that that's there. And then you have a story of the fruit that came after the awareness of like, man, and now look where his life is at or her life is at. Yeah, definitely lots of stories. And let me give you an insight as I introduced um, kind of maybe a generalized story, um, even though I am thinking of a pastor in particular, but I'll kind of generalize it a bit. Um, one thing that we have pastors look at, because we're all, we're all a mixture of good and bad, sinner and saint, and even our dysfunction, if you want to call it, that can be a mixture. When we think people pleaser, we tend to think, oh, that's, that's a problem. That's dysfunctional. Well, there's something dysfunctional in it, but there's also good in it, meaning what you just alluded to is we care for people. We want to serve people. We want to serve the church. We want to love people. We're willing to sacrifice. We are compassionate and take notice of people's feelings and needs and, and desires and are moved to meet those, you know, and that's, that's all good. The negative is, is when I have to do it, when um, I am, I'm doing it when I don't need to do it, I guess the same thing, when I'm stealing stuff that I shouldn't be stealing to give to them, whether that's my own time, sleep time with family whatever you know and, and those kinds of things begin to get dysfunctional you know and so one thing we have pastors do is say okay you know they'll i'll have them give me an example of a time when they felt like they overstepped their bounds and people pleasing and and i'll say okay what was what was good in that and what was not good in that then also i'll have them say what was your if you want to call it it's not really emotional but we tend to experience it that way did you do it because of guilt or fear? Because if you did, those are wrong motivations. It needs to be out of love and freedom. Anything that's of God, I would argue, is love and freedom. If we're doing it out of guilt and fear, which tends to be where the dysfunctional part of people-pleasing comes, we're off track. And we're going to actually even have an emotional hangover from doing it because we didn't do it for the right reason in the first place. If we do it for the right reason in the first place, we can even let go of kind of the outcome to a degree, even though we may have hopes and you know, whatever. But if we do it out of guilt and fear, there's already a contract written that I'm doing it because of this, and this is what I need to get from it to so for it to be okay. I need to resolve my guilt and fear, you know. And so, you know, all that to say is we help pastors say, are you doing this out of guilt and fear, or are you doing it out of love and freedom? And that can be a way you can look at: is this dysfunctional or functional? And so I had a pastor come 
typical burnout, typical didn't see it coming because pastors are tend to be people of perseverance and persistence and just keep going. And, and he did the not age old, but it's happened several times of we've had pastors where basically full blown panic attack as he's going up to preach on a Sunday morning. And he has to be, you know, kind of an intervention happen, so to speak. And, you know, so we got his story and it was just doing too much, just doing too much, no boundaries in his life, you know, and he began to piece together how much he did out of guilt and fear. He was largely driven out of guilt and fear, yet he was a good man with a right calling, gifted, all that. So we began to separate out what do you do out of guilt and fear and what do you do because you believe you're called to do it because you believe that's what God would have you do because that is your gifting slash opportunity and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, he went back and made some changes. He took a, a mandatory day off. He made staff take a man. He was the senior pastor of a fairly large church, made staff take a day off. He began to let go of some things. And, and I got together with him, happened to be in the town that, that he lives in. Oh, a year or two later, and the guy looked different. He just looked light and refreshed. He came into Marble Retreat, you know, just exhausted, resentful, burned out. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And now all of a sudden, and, and you know, he had taken off maybe 30, 40% of his job requirements, and the church didn't let him go. He was loving ministry. His wife was loving him again. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, wow, but he needed this heart change to say, what was my motivation in doing that? And do I really believe God wants something different? And will I face what I have to face? And he had to go back and, and wrestle with some elders. I'm going to stop doing this many funerals and weddings every year. I'm not going to burn up every other weekend, you know, doing this. It's killing my family and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so... Um, but it's just beautiful to see that somebody walking in that freedom and love and still ministering. And now I know there are situations where pastors will say, Hey, if I do that, I'll lose my job. And then there's an unfortunate, that could be true. That could be true. I think that gets back to assertive control of your schedule. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a, that's a great, uh, a great example of that. One of the words that we love to talk about is congruence and you talk about disintegration and integration of pastors. Can you, can you kind of unpack that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah. You know, I think one of the greatest challenges of being a pastor is not so much that you have unique issues, you know, depression, anxiety, burnout, anybody in any, you know, kind of position, you know, can struggle with those. I think it's the context and with which you struggle that is different you know, if you're a pastor and you're struggling with burnout than a lot of other, you know, professions, so to speak. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of inherent pressure to take the broken part of ourselves, grief, for example, to take the sinful part of ourselves, struggle with pornography, to take the wounded part of ourselves. I was sexually abused as a kid. There's a lot of pressure to push that aside or only share it in a certain success light. And so the pastor who's lost a family member, they typically get one Sunday to preach on it and people want them to move forward. Mm. And so then what do they do with their grief after that? The pastor who's struggling and gets up front and says, I'm authentic and everybody wants that. But if I get this authentic, eh, you know, my job could be in jeopardy and all pastors walk that line to some degree, you know? And so there's a lot of pressure. There can be a lot of pressure. I'd say there's mostly a lot of pressure to put a certain pieces of ourselves to the side and unfortunately, that gives them life. And that's what you know, I call disintegration. There's this piece of myself 
that I'm keeping hidden and I'm just not going to focus that it's there, you know, yet I have a lot of feelings about it. And, and it actually gives it more life because it typically adds more shame to it than what needs to be there. Um, and so going far enough, it can nearly become subconscious. You know, there's definitely situations we have seen of high profile pastors who have this really dark side going on and are looking super holy up front, sounding super holy. And the ministry is taken off and everybody's like, wow, they're really on fire right now. And kind of it's a reaction to what this dark side is. Man, I'm compensating over here because I feel so much shame and guilt about this side. And so integration for a pastor is coming back to being aware of my brokenness, my woundedness, my sinfulness, and bring it in, in, into safe community. And, you know, in the book, I talk about a case where a lady who came in who had a lot of pressure to always sound right, because that was kind of the culture of the ministry she was in. And, but she had a ton of grief and a ton of doubt and a ton of struggle. So she was appearing to be somewhat mentally ill because she is just breaking down. But once she integrated in safe community, ah, it just all began to come back together for her, you know, and then she was more authentic and real with her, who she was and her struggles. Yeah, I think there's something that's that that takes such a level of courage for pastors. Like I, I think about right now, the pastor who, you know, you just named, uh, you know, burnout, you know, culture of feeling right, you know struggles with pornography, struggles with whatever, you know, like we can just list that. And I just, I think about the past right now, who's just like feeling that pressure of like, well, dude, if anyone knew I'd be out of job or like, you know, I like, where do I even go? And so like, what encouragement would you have for that pastor who's sitting there right now, just like feeling the weight of even just hearing those words that may be something that they're hiding inside, you know, go to someone, talk to someone, you know, um, Melissa McBurney, who her and her husband found at Marble Retreat, she likes to share the story. We called it Marble Retreat and not Marble Counseling Center, because in the 70s, if pastors came here, they would have lost their jobs for sure. <laughs> so, you know, let's call it Marble Retreat. So everybody thinks they're just going to a, a ski retreat in the mountains, you know, up in up in Colorado. And, and we've kept that name. Now, a lot of more pastors do actually share than in the past. And that's a good sign, you know, that more pastors their congregation, their leadership is fully aware they're coming to Marble Retreat, a counseling center. But, you know, the point being is they needed a safe place to go where there was no repercussions. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, what, that's basically the heart of our ministry is a safe place to go with no repercussions. And mm -hmm. so every pastor needs that, you know, and a lot of denominations and mission organizations have a care person, but a lot of pastors and missionaries will tell us, I don't talk to that person because they're in-house. And, and a lot of my beef is with the denomination or with this mission organization. I don't want to tell somebody. And that doesn't mean that person isn't good and fulfilling a role. I think they need to be there. But I also think it's important for a pastor to have total freedom to talk about what they need to talk about without fear is going to come back and bite them. And that takes a lot of maturity for somebody in-house to be able to do that. You know, so it doesn't always happen. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is just beautiful that you all are providing that for pastors. Um, and again, I, I really appreciate that in your book, you actually face suicide uh, head on. And we've talked about it on the podcast here before. Um, yeah. And thank you. Thank you for voicing that and for looking at that as actually like part of the hazards of ministry in the season in which we're in. Um, and also thank you for writing a thoughtful letter to one who is considering suicide. I, it was just beautiful and powerful. 
And so I have like a two part question, like one, why is there an uptick in these numbers or what might some of your thoughts be? And then the other question is, what would you have to say to pastors who may be experiencing those thoughts and feelings even in this moment? Yeah, first the uptick. Um, I think a lot of it again has to do with the increase of conflict toxicity um, in and lack of respect and in, in a changing culture. Um, I think a lot of pastors do desire for church to be like a family and for it to be a safe and beautiful and a healing place. And it's not for some people within the church and it's not for them, you know, and, and there's all lots of reasons why, but I think that has increased in recent years. And, and I think just the increase in the complexity of ministry, I know a lot of pastors just feel out of their element right now. They're being pushed to make healthcare decisions when they're trained in theology and they're being pushed to navigate politics, you know, at a level that they've never had to navigate before. Um, so I think it's just pushing them beyond, you know, and that what they hoped to experience seems harder and harder to experience. And then for the pastor who's out there struggling, first, nothing is wrong with you because you are struggling, because you are at that point. It's a tough world and it's a broken world. Your darkness is a representative of that and your brokenness. So please don't shame yourself for being in that because that just makes it worse. You are a human, you're hurting. But at the same time, just because you feel shame about your level of brokenness, I should have it all together. I have the answers. I'm supposed to be the strong one. All those things we tell ourselves as leaders. Still don't let that stop you to reach out. Um, the difference, you know, often is one person, one relationship. I mean, I've seen that repeatedly in my life. Just that one person, whether that was, I got the privilege of being that one person at times for pastors. But I, you know, I've seen others be saved by that one person who they just reached out, had that one conversation that began the turning point. Uh, wow. One, I'm cared for. Two, I'm not chained. Three, there is help. I mean, I've, I've worked with so many pastors who thought there is no help. There is no hope. I've tried this. I've tried this, you know. And sometimes it's exhausting to find that help, but it is out there. You know, God always has a plan of redemption. I believe there's always hope. So hang in there. A better day will come. It will come. It's just, it can be really hard. And But don't add more to it by shaming yourself because it is really hard. It is really hard right now. And that's true. There's no getting around that. You are in good company in the sense that lots of us are struggling right now. The soldiers are weary. It's been tough. It's been tough. But but hang in there. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, you know, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I would love to just just spend a moment. Let's just pretend you have five minutes or two minutes with all the pastors who are listening um in North America and even in Prince Edward, over in Prince Edward Island. Um what would you want to say to them? How would you want to encourage pastors this morning or today? You know, I'm, pastors are very theologically minded, so they'll don't go into your, that's not theologically or biblically correct. You know, just hear my bigger point. But God really loves you. Um, I've seen it again and again in our work at Marvel Retreat where God shows up and specifically talks to the, the one who's there, the servants who are there. And my wife and I were just talking about that. You know, one of the things we miss by not being, we, we still go back at times, but anyway, we were the full-time counselors there. And now we're the directors, not doing as much of that hands-on counseling. But we loved there was we saw God show up very specific ways 
for his broken servants. Just very specific ways. And what that taught us is God has a special place in his heart. Now, I know he loves all his children. So, no, that's not fully true. Yet we see where God really cares for his servants, for those who are on the front lines of the kingdom, those who are, who are taking the gospel forward. And so my word to you is, is God sees you. He notices you. And just like Elijah in the valley, who was like, I'm done. You know, everybody's against me. You know, this is over. No, God was waiting for to renew him and to refresh him and give him rest and nourishment. And, and God is there. I know at, at times it doesn't feel like it, but and I, and I, I see, it. I think you hold a special place in God's heart for those who have chosen to say full time, I am going to devote myself to the kingdom. I think God loves you. And, and I think he has a very close eye on you. And I have just seen again and again where he has specifically crafted your redemption that's coming. Um, and I've gotten to see that. And it's just been beautiful and incredible when it does, when it happens. And I've worked with so many pastors who look back and say, I didn't see it coming. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And then it came and freedom came and light came back and joy even came back. It's just, it's just beautiful. But man, it can be tough. We can be in the valley. We can be in the desert for a while and wonder, where is he? Does he even care? Does he hear me anymore? He does. He does. Yeah, well, Michael, we've been asking our guests and we'd love to ask you, can you leave us with a benediction? Sure. My tradition, that typically means a prayer. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to close my eyes and pray. And if whoever is going to be watching this, you can choose to do the same or, or whatever is most comfortable for you. But let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know who is hearing this, but I trust that they needed to hear this today. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak to pastors, Christian leaders. Lord, I know a lot of them, a lot of us are hurting. It's been a tough couple of years. Lord, I just pray that you would open the eyes of their heart to know that the gospel that they share with others is true for them as well, that the grace that they freely share is true for them as well, that the freedom from shame and fear is also true for them. I pray that each pastor listening to this who is struggling, that you would renew their hope that you are there, that you care, that you do have a plan of redemption. I pray that you begin to help them to see that, experience that in tangible ways, whether it's a restored relationship with someone who can be a trusted friend, whether it is picking up a hobby that brings back some laughter and joy and refreshment. Help them to see what steps they need to take. Lord, I thank you for each of your servants who are out there serving on the front lines. Bless them, encourage them, Lord. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you ever considered engaging in pastoral or ministry coaching? We have a team of coaches at Kairos Partnerships available to serve you. If you want to know more, log on to our website at kairospartnerships.org for a free 30-minute coaching call to give it a test drive. Thanks again for listening. We're grateful you tuned into this episode. We'll catch you next week for another episode. God bless and bless God.